Welcome to 77 Minutes, the Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The only Mavericks podcast that didn't prepare this intro. I should come up with an intro. I can't think of a clever one. Dave, you know what? You get to be host this time. Welcome to 77 Minutes, your Dallas Mavericks podcast on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your temporary host, Dave DeFore, stepping in only momentarily for the wonderful and talented Tim Cato. Hi, Tim. It's been so long since I've podcasted, Dave, that I forgot how to do intros. I do you know to that's do it. real? I straight up. That's real. Yeah. That's real. Yeah. Po- Look, man, there's a there's an art to podcast. If you're actually podcasting, and we make podcasts. We don't do them. We make them. We make art. No, we make podcasts. We're not making art. This Which is are not art. art. No, I mean, me. this is it's NFT if it's art. <laughs> That, it's a Rembrandt. That giggling you hear there. Would you like to introduce our guest? Do you think, can you handle it? I'm not Tim? the host. I, I don't know how to do this. No, I don't you're hosting. know his I name. I only was temporary no, for that. I don't no, know no, his no. name. You got to get back in the saddle. Okay, it's the Kobe beef. Um, what's your name? Doyle. <laughs> That's correct. I mean, but most people wow. call, it, call me beef for short at games. So, yeah. Yeah, it's I don't the think Kobe I've ever beef. called you beef. I don't think I've ever called you beef, Doyle. Bobby Corrala and Jonathan Charks often call me beef for short. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. I've, I've known you for a decade and I don't think I've ever called you that. So you learn something new every day. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. we're here on a, on a Tuesday, um, Tuesday evening. You might be listening to this Tuesday night or Wednesday. You could be listening to this Thursday for all I care, but the Mavericks just beat the jazz. And I figure we talk about, the playoffs, which are about a month away and, you know, kind of the what that game represents um, if the Mavericks face the Jazz. And I, I think let's let's focus on there and then we can talk about a few other scenarios. I would say that you've got to at least put 50 percent odds that it's the Jazz, maybe maybe slightly higher than 50 at this point. If you look at the standings, if you look at the remaining schedules of the three or four teams that are kind of still in a mix to switch things around. I just think it's really likely that Dallas and Utah are the four and five seeds in some order. I think it's pretty likely that they would flip flop. Um, But I think it's pretty likely Doyle, you were at that game, you know, we have to be rooting for this, right? That, that was entertainment for 48 minutes. That was fun. We deserve to have fun as sports fans watching basketball. And I thought that was just universally, objectively fun. Well, for full disclosure, I bailed on the game and watched it <laughs> at home. But I did well, watch it. I thought it. you were at the game. Mm. I, I thought about going, but sometimes lazy gets the better of you. But, okay, um, but, but wait. Do you, I went to the game. You did. And I never go to the games. Tim, How did you do, you enjoy not, do you want to hear what it was like to be at the game before Doyle tells us what it was like to watch it on TV? I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Go it ahead, was great. Dave. It was great. Share your those fun guys, little story. Um, no, those guys, uh, they have great energy. I, I think that was my big yeah. takeaway is that the energy from this team is palpable. The vibes are really good. You Everybody. might even say they're immaculate. Well, we're not going to go that far. Okay. Let, let's let, let, ask me in a month. Um, but right now things are great. Dorian Finney-Smith, I don't. I mean, 
That guy's like a textbook 3 and D guy, and, and he had four offensive rebounds in this game last night against like Rudy Gobert. Not competing with Rudy Gobert, but Rudy Gobert was the opposing center. And Hassan Whiteside, these are good rebounders. Um, I don't know. This team is uh, it's different than it was pre-trade deadline for sure. They've just got more juice. Like it's a super, it would be a super interesting matchup and has been a super interesting regular season matchup strategically um, for a lot of pick and roll schemes and the way that Luca can just manipulate those and the way that the Jazz present a very unique form of draft coverage. Like all that stuff is interesting strategically, but it's also just fun when the star players of both teams get in yelling matches and start tossing balls back and forth at each other. And Luca tried a ridiculous, insane flop that I thought in live, like in real time would have worked. I thought I thought it 100 percent had worked. I thought Rudy was out of the game. I mean, I was kind of caught it out of the corner of my eye from uh, from my media seat. And then on, on replay, we we're like, what are, what are you doing, Luca? Um, you know, and now like jazz fans are also now mad at uh, Luca hitting um, Donovan Mitchell in the face, which I rewatched it. It easily had, had the refs actually looked at it. It would have been a flagrant one. I don't think there's any question, but you know, the well, idea who, that it was. Who, I'm sorry, but did you see that? I, clip? Who wants, I don't want to sit and relitigate uh, whether you know he when he accidentally hit him in the face. If they should have given him a flagrant. Oh, and, I was bringing it up. We could be here all night. The arguments are such bad faith. It's very clear yeah. that he gets a piece. If for anybody who's seen the clip, he gets a piece of the ball and then he tries to go with both hands to pick it up as as donovan right. is losing control of it and the angle is cropped out so you don't see the ball and i don't know there's just there's so many bad faith arguments well, doyle on, had a better on, view on so, everything that, than we did that was I mean, my point yeah the, the luca flop you saw i'm doyle like it was absolutely absurd i don't know what oh, he yeah. did when he kicked his foot out but i appreciate uh, the gamesmanship there like he wanted to Ice the game. As a matter of fact, he was probably would have done the Jazz a favor because Gobert was getting absolutely torched every single time he was switched on Luca, which is different than the other day, Doyle. Yeah, so I mean, the flop was pretty bad. I, you know, they showed like about eighteen thousand different camera angles. Uh, I mean, it, but I can respect him for taking a page out of the Chris Paul playbook. You know, sometimes you got to do that, and to see Luca do that because you know he he frequently says how upset he is about calls after games now he just doesn't care about getting fined it seems i mean he even said after the game last night that he was shocked that only he got teed up in that uh that one altercation and he said well i'm used to this but uh yeah i mean it is what it is like but i i admire the the balls to try and get rudy just thrown out like why not why not see if you can get away with it the i mean the worst that happens is nothing you know like they're not gonna call there's no flopping calls like in the nba let's wasn't go there back in to the like game. wasn't there they're flopping used, well, they like used 2012 and, for flops but they're not yeah that's on. right yeah and it's it's also a pittance it's five thousand dollars or something it's nothing all right doyle let's go yeah, back that's to the game. nothing to me well it's <laughs> that's nothing, nothing to these to guys yeah. Um, yeah it's like getting a speeding ticket and you're rich no, it's it nothing is. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Okay, Doyle, let's go back to the game because Utah is a good team. They are a good offense. And I thought like my if I if I'm giving you a couple of takeaways, one of them is defensive synergy for the Mavs. Their switching was excellent. 
the energy, again, was fantastic. And, and I thought that this was a good test of potential playoff matchup, like Tim said. Could be the first round. But it's a high-powered offense with a big. And we got to look at what it might look like when this team goes smaller. Every route to the finals, except for Golden State, has a big. So it's a little bit of uh, – they're getting a little bit of practice for the playoffs, Doyle. Yeah, so the Mavericks have been kind of going smaller due to injuries or whatever. They did it against the Lakers recently too. But, yeah, like like you said, Jazz – the Jazz are an insanely high-powered offense. Didn't they just – like the game before they played the Mavericks, they hit what, like 14 threes in like a quarter or a half? That's against Oklahoma City though. Yeah, yeah, I know. But still, that's, that's still impressive to do. But, yeah uh, – Everyone's buying in on the defensive end, and it's you'll hear the players talk about how much Luca's even buying in. Like, is he the best defender out there? No, but is he actually trying? Yes. Pretty good though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, Dorian's probably He's the best above average easily. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But well, yeah, right. like, so I mean, when you're looking at what they did. Did you do you feel like that's sustainable for them, or or is it going to be Maxi or Dwight Powell is going to have to be out there if they're playing against Jokic or I mean I don't even know what they do against you. What does anybody do against Jokic? Well, Dave, they were right, but but I'm just thinking Maxi and Dwight combined for 48 minutes, so they they yeah, didn't. No, they were they were. Right, but right, right. I'm saying, do you have to have both potentially against mm. the teams that are you know like Denver? We I don't think Utah is going to actually be a problem. My my opinion of Utah has totally changed after the last couple of games for them, including the Oklahoma City game. This is not a fluke at this point for for Dallas. I mean, personally, I don't I don't feel. I mean, I think it's clear that ideally this team has another center, and that the Porzingis trade, as we knew from the moment it happened, the one thing it left them with was with you know really only two usable big men. Um, if Marquise Chris ever comes back, um, he's usable. I don't think he's a postseason rotation piece at all. Um, y- yeah, but I, I, I don't think this team's future is is throwing Dwight Powell and Maxi out there. I, I'm not saying that Maxi or Dwight won't be too small at times, but I don't think the duo of them will solve the problems or will solve more problems than they would cause. You know, I think this team's team is best when they're running out a ton of players, six, five to six, eight and having the defensive synergy to stay connected together. I, I don't think there's any scenario where you, you know, Maxi and Dwight uh, give you so much more size that it, that it, while not giving up, you know, what you get from these hyper athletic, mostly wing lineups. So that's my quick take. Um, but, but I think, you know, we've seen, we've seen at times that they've played them both together. Uh, you remember the Miami game, Doyle? Yeah. Uh, both of them started the second half, and that was the big swing point of the game, from what I recall. Um, that, that, was, that was effective. And then I thought it was even interesting that, that Maxi was the player who stuck in the lineup over Dwight Powell down the stretch of, of Monday's game against Utah because... Maxi clearly was struggling on the offensive end. He was he was not playing well. Um, you know, he missed most of or he missed I think he missed every shot, including free throws in the uh in the second half. 
Um, but the plus minus favored him. And clearly uh, something about his presence being a stretch big rather than having a rolling big like um, like Palace uh, just made more sense for the Mavericks down, you know, in those in those final six to nine, six, six or seven minutes. And I thought that was interesting. And, and I think as long as you have the option of, of two centers, even if they're not monstrous rebounders, monster uh, monsters physically, but you have options of two centers. They're different types of centers. They give you options and looks. And then you have a bunch of options if you wanted to go smaller. I think that's good enough for this team to do what they're going to do in the postseason. And yeah, you know, if they had uh, Joel Embiid on the team, it'd be nice. But, you know, for what this team is going to be able to do at their talent level, uh, it's going to be win a series, maybe two, um, if, if, they, if they get the right draws. And... You know, I I don't think that just another role playing center changes that so much. Um, and what they really need is a is a much more talented person, but that would change the whole perspective and dynamic of what this team actually is and what they can achieve, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I think I think Maxi and Dwight is is perfectly fine. I, I like Josh Green at center. That's yeah. fun. I mean, his passing Doyle in in the game against Utah really opened things up early. I mean, he was just putting pressure on them. I mean, they were having to send bodies over, and his speed really stood out. And really, in the fourth quarter, you could see Utah was losing their legs, second night of a back-to-back, end of a long road trip, and Josh Green was just in afterburner mode. It was awesome to watch. Yeah, I like Josh Green's a weird player for me because there are nights that he likes completely lot, like involved, focused, and engaged and knows what he's doing. And then there's other times where he just looks still lost. I mean, it's his second year that's going to happen. So seeing his, him develop is something that I think is really going to be something to look forward to as, as the, you know, the season continues to progress and then, you know, his career progresses. But uh, in terms of, you know, what you were saying earlier about how is this sustainable for the team? Like I keep, you know, having seen the Mavericks play forever and ever and ever, I always feel like, oh, well, here come the old Mavericks. And this isn't the old Mavericks. Like, every time I think they're just like, oh, they're going to collapse in this game. No, they don't. Like, they looked horrible against the Warriors recently, came back and won. You know, they didn't play too hot against the Lakers for an entire quarter. Still survived that storm, came back and, and won. And this isn't the Mavericks we're used to seeing, right? This is, this is a team that has another level of like fortitude and toughness on the defensive end that we've seen, like they will, you know, buckle down and really try and clamp down on their opponents at, you know, to whatever kind of success they have. It, it is what it is, but most of the time it's highly successful. It's the offense that comes and goes more often than not these days than it is the defense. And, that's really a complete 180 from where they were, you know, uh, the last few seasons under Rick Carlisle. I want to talk about Spencer Dinwiddie. Okay. Phenomenal. So the, the Mavs are seven and one since the trade deadline, since he, with him in the lineup. He's averaging 18 points a game, about five assists, a couple of rebounds, but he's shooting. 54.7, 44.7 from three, and 73 from the free throw line. 
Um, I don't want to say he was tanking in Washington, but this is a different player than Spencer Dinwiddie has been all season. And this has been the key. I mean, he has been the most important guy. You know what you're getting from Luka. Getting that sort of high-level role-playing from a guy was missing. Tim Hardaway, you know, has been gone and, frankly, wasn't at that level for a lot of the year. I mean, Tim, Spencer Dinwiddie has been a great addition so far. I mean, how many times have we said on this podcast, like, they just don't have shot creation outside of Luka and outside of Jalen? And now they do. You know, it's very clear that Spencer Dinwiddie is a guy who can get an unassisted bucket. He can get into the rim or sorry, get into the lane, finish at the rim, kick out passes for for teammates. They just needed one more guy who could do that. They they really desperately badly needed one more guy who could do that. And it's very clear that Spencer is capable of doing that. I, I think his jump shooting will fall off a bit. There is nothing at any point of his career that suggests he's going to hit 45 percent of his threes. Um, he's career like 31. Um, and it's not, it's not all looks like he was hitting crazy pull up isolation pull ups, uh, has been for several games, uh, which I do think speaks to his confidence and comfort in this role. I just still think that's going to fall off a little bit, but when he's getting into the, uh, lane and when he's finishing and in particularly when he's drawing fouls at the rate that he is, there is so much value in that, and it's exactly what we had been saying and highlighting that this roster was missing for so long. And because he was so ineffective in Washington, I guess my concerns were about his athleticism and about the idea that ACL, you know, players who suffer ACL tears often take about a season to get back to where they were. I liked Dinwiddie, uh, you know, when he was a free agent. I, I liked him last summer as a, as a potential option. You know, I didn't think that he was the guy they should prioritize over everything else, and they didn't. They prioritized Tim Hardaway Jr., and that's who they've resigned. But I, I, I thought I thought he was a solid player. Uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, even though his efficiency is probably a touch higher than that, you know, just having another big guard is is valuable. And I go back to what I was saying about how this team's success is going to be built around their wings and their multi-wing lineups. And you might as well consider Dinwiddie a ball-handling wing. One of the reasons the Mavericks are so good at defense this year is because they pretty much play one player under 6'5". They've played one player under 6'5 this entire season. It's Jalen Brunson. That's it. When you add that much height and then you build in the defensive connectivity that you're also not making mistakes, when you just have length and height all over the court, that matters. That is so important to this team. And and that's what I really harp on, um, that, that Dinwiddie just adds to that you know, it doesn't take away whatsoever from the success while adding something that they've desperately been missing this entire time. Doyle, are you a big fan of Spencer Dinwiddie so far? The step backs are just, I mean, it's its unguardable. The guy's too big. It's like, it's not quite as unguardable as Luca, but it's pretty damn close. Oh, yeah. Luca's step back is contagious. It's, oh, it's, it's got to be. Well, the passing is. That's, that's my next thing, but, you know, we'll get there. Yeah, and Dinwiddie has been really a breath of fresh air for this team, because I think the expectations outside of like a select few, you know, fans out there in the Twitterverse were just like, ah, whatever. It's just it's to unload KP and what he's fine. But, you know, the team like Tim to Tim's point has needed a, another ball handler for years and years and years and years. And now they have it and it's paying dividends instantly. Like, you know, Dinwiddie was saying after the game last night that when he's out there with Luca, like 
he's out there ready to catch and shoot, but he's also there to like bring the ball back out, reset the offense in the half court and do all the other things that, you know, so, so that Luca doesn't have to do every single thing. And then occasionally, you know, he allows Luca to, you know, take a playoff on the offense. Essentially he can bring the ball up the court. I mean, but everyone's kind of bringing the ball up the court now for the Mavericks. It's that's uh that's something that they have changed a lot of this year. They are, their offensive flexibility is up because they can initiate with anybody. And I mean, everyone at some point in that game, almost every guard initiated the offense, even while Luca was out there, other guys initiating the offense, getting him coming a lot off of times action to set early. up a Luca post up. Right. Actually, absolutely. I was about to say, get him coming yeah. off an action, get a switch, get us, get a smaller guy on him, try to get the post up and then run whatever off of him. But the infectious passing, you can see that these guys moving the ball. The assists are actually down in the last like eight games. But I would guess, and I didn't look at these numbers, but I would guess that the open looks attacking closeouts and getting to the basket are up because they are bending the defense now in a way that they just didn't have the guys to do it because, again, they added a guy who can break, break you down off the dribble and also shoot that step back. So you have to come out and guard him. And then Berton's to I mean, he just doesn't stop moving. He can only shoot in Texas. <laughs> yeah, he uh I mean, there was a point in the game last night where he brought the ball up and <laughs> and actually they scored off that play. Like it was it was awesome. Like he I mean, he only went one for four last night, but he's shown that he can be an absolute flamethrower off that bench, which is just another wrinkle to this team of like who knew that like they, they they would have this much? But again, you know, a lot of it's set up by you know the passing that you know generally starts with Luca. But they are moving the ball, and the ball will find the open man eventually. Here's here's a stat that that gets as at what you were saying, Dave. Um, past eight uh, past eight games, so since Spencer and Davis started playing, they are fifth in the league in secondary assists. Four point five each game. They're not. The test. They're in the bottom ten in passes made, and that also makes sense because they do have obviously one player in Luca who dominates the ball. It makes sense that they're just not making tons and tons of passes, but when they do pass, it's very purposeful. Like once Luca does break down the defense, he may take ten seconds to do that, but once he does break down the defense, the ball's swinging all over the place, and it's swinging so purposefully. And obviously, secondary assist, hockey assist, whatever you want to call it. That's, you know, they, they, they track that the same as they track a, an actual assist. So you're only going to get an assist if the guy makes, you know, if the guy immediately shoots or maybe takes a dribble and shoots, has to be within a second or two. So that really a secondary assist is going to indicate almost every time a one, two, three swing um, or, a, you know, just just that quick ball movement that we've seen throughout these past eight games. Um, I, I think Dinwiddie has has been absolutely a big a big part of that. I think that you know it, it's interesting because I, I think his rep and his his reputation is that he does have a tendency for the ball to stick with him, or or he has over the course of his career. But he also, from what I've seen, seems very sharp and aware, and he understands what it is, what his role is coming to Dallas. And you know, I I haven't seen you know maybe outside of a one or two of these threes that. You know, he settles for late in shot clocks and who cares because right now they're going in. 
um, he's been very aware that he's not brought in to dominate the ball, that he's brought in to be the secondary guy. Um, and that's been a huge part of his success. Yeah, I mean, knowing your role is important. And again, um, it warrants a deep dive at some point. Jason Kidd's doing a pretty good job this year, undeniably. They're winning games. The defense looks improved. Offense coming around. I mean, it's still up and down, but I think it's going to be better in a month. It, it it has to be. They they just are improving at such a fast clip. As we go to wrap, and, and Tim, I'll start with you here. I got a question. Okay. How much has your perception of their ceiling shifted in the last month? Has it has it gone from okay, likely first round out to oh, this is a finals team? Or maybe it's like, okay, yeah, I thought before they could have won in the first round, and now I think they'll definitely win in the first round. I think that's an important question because I have been stuck in the assumption that this is a team that should probably can win in the first round and I've been stuck in that assumption based off how they started the season and based off my analysis of the talent that this roster has and I am reaching a point where there are enough results that I am really trying to challenge my month-long convictions about what this team is because the results are demanding that I challenge what I've thought about this team. I still lean towards this team just not quite being talented enough that certain aspects of why they're succeeding defensively are things like effort and, you know, everything we've talked about. But if it's effort and if it's buy-in, those are things you usually see come out more in every team in the postseason. So if they're already maxing that out in the regular season, maybe that's not a place that they actually have quite the advantage that we've seen thus far. Likewise, um, you know, certainly before the trade, I had doubts about their offense coming around a little bit on that and need to see how sustainable and how much Dinwiddie continues doing what he does because it's exactly what we said. This is exactly what the offense has been needing. And then when you combine that with the best Luca has ever played, this is his best stretch of basketball. That does raise your ceiling quite a bit. So I don't know. I don't know. I do know they really must win in the first round. And I think Utah's the best chance to do it. The most statistically likely chance to do it. And just for the fun factor, that's what I'm rooting for. Big problem is that Denver is a wild card because they might be getting... MPJ and uh, Murray right. back. So, you know, who knows? And then the Clippers are just a nightmare waiting for somebody if those if their guys come back. All right, Doyle. Luca can be the best player in every playoff series. Undeniably. Right. Can he take them to the finals? Or do they still not quite have enough? Is Luca like, is he at the point where he can just go and dominate? I am going to drag this team to the finals. Like uh, like LeBron did with the Cavs. Like LeBron, yeah. yeah. Um, it's like early Dirk for him, did. right? So, like Dirk did. They're, <laughs> yeah. Oh, even better. Like Dirk yeah. did. Um, I don't know if the team around him he can he can will them in. He's these guys have got to play at if not their best level, at an incredibly elevated level every night to just supplement him. 
he, I mean, he could pull like a LeBron act and like drop 56 and just will teams to victory on any given night. I feel like, but he's going to need contributions from Finney Smith, from Brunson, from Dinwiddie. Uh, Max Kleba needs to hit threes if he's going to be out there at center, you know, because that does help their offense a lot, being able to draw bigs out of the paint. Um, but to, but yeah, Luca will be more than likely the best player on the court in every series he's faced in the in the postseason. Unless they play like, Denver. Yeah, and then then it's Jokic, but like right, but that that's like one A and one B basically. Right. Like those those guys are insane. Um, will they make it out of the first round? I mean, I knew they were at least a playoff team to start the season. I was not high on the hiring of Jason Kidd based on all of his previous coaching stops. Uh, he's he's turned this team around into something I didn't know it could be with this same basically the same roster it's had with a few pieces here and there coming in and out for the past, I don't know, six, four, six years, something like that. Um, I, I think this, they have, like Tim said, they have to win in the first round. I think they have to, at this point after like facing up with the Clippers the past two years. And I think they could have won the series last year, but they just, you know, they just succumbed to the moment and went, cold and they had nothing else but their shooting they have so much more than their shooting now but they need those guys to continue to hit at a high clip and you know and they need to win they need to win for narrative reasons and i hate to say it but no, that's true absolutely sport and, and luca luca can't win, lose another first round yeah he's going to be good enough to win he can't lose another first round he can't have that hanging over him which wouldn't and won't be deserved you know unless we just totally misunderstand what playoff luca is going to be, um, and, I think and if they, look, perhaps more I, importantly for the free agency factor, they can't have another first round exit if because their strategy continues to be really wrapped around getting a big free agent in the next one or two off seasons, probably like next the following off season or the one after, I should say. I I don't want to, you know, dump on your point, but I do think that if the team is way better than them, I mean, if, if the nuggets are fully healthy and that's the four or five matchup and they lose, right. That's bad luck. I don't, I don't think anyone's well, going to say narrative. Yes, I get it. But listen, right. but there's other narratives as well. I mean, if Luca puts up 50 a game and, and they lose in, in six, well, that's a narrative too. Right. I mean, Michael Jordan, I, I remember cause I was a kid watching Michael Jordan get beat by the Pistons every year. And so they didn't. And it's about talent and it's about having a team. And I like I understand that the NBA now, everything is a referendum. Everything is a referendum on a player's career, their future, uh, a team's summer. You know, all of their plans go out the window if they lose in five games in the first round. I understand that. But I think that the context will matter quite a bit for them. And, and if they now if they play Utah and they lose, I'm with you, Tim. I think they have to beat Utah. 20, 20 second answer, Dave, just out of curiosity. If you're a Mavs fan, if you're the Mavericks, are you more scared of, of Denver or Golden State, hypothetically being the 4-5 matchup? I think I'm more scared of Denver. Jokic is, is you just something you don't have an answer for here. And it, yeah. with, with the Warriors, at least, and even with a healthy Draymond, you can match up. To a certain degree, you're not getting going to get absolutely crushed at the at the middle position. Like it's just, 
especially if Murray and, and Porter are out there. It's just too much even firepower. Yeah, even one of them. Yeah, and, and, and Porter, too much firepower. Porter is the one, like, Jamal, I'd, I wouldn't expect to be anything other than a, a bench player as he works his way back. And he's already said he's not certain he's coming back. He'll come back when yeah. he feels ready to come back, and he doesn't know what that is. Getting Porter back, a healthy Porter back, he wasn't healthy to start this year. That's why he was that bad. Mm-hmm. If he's healthy, that's terrifying with the way Denver's playing right now without him. Oh, yeah. That's exactly yeah. what they're missing. Yeah. It's a bad it's a bad matchup for them. And with Utah, I, I just think it's a good matchup. Uh, Utah has not done enough this year to, to show me that they've made significant changes. I thought Daniel House should have been playing more uh, in that game. Now, again... Second night of a back-to-back for them, end of a long road trip, blah, 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 blah. But I watch just about every Utah Jazz game, too. And I saw a lot of their warts last night, That some of which were fatigue, and they were highlighted by fatigue. In particular, Gobert did look tired just from the jump. He, he backed away from the physicality until end of the fourth quarter when the game was pretty much over. During that fake comeback that the Jazz had, you know, he had that dunk. And it was too late. You, you needed to do that right off the bat, buddy. Um, I, I just think that Utah doesn't strike any fear in this Mavericks team and that the Nuggets might because that's a team that, I mean, it's better than them. Let's face it. I, I think Utah is a better regular season team, but with Luka, I give, them, I give them the puncher's chance against just about anybody, but I think they're better than Utah in the playoffs because of Luka. Yeah, so, that's fair. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Any closing thoughts, Doyle? Um, I mean, I'm just I've just been pleasantly surprised with this team over the last month, two months, because they were nothing like this to start the season. They were kind of dreadful. Like they were putting up a lot of bad shots, albeit open, open quote unquote shots, but really bad ones. Uh they've seemed to uh solved all that and you know. We'll see where they go. I mean, I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop, and I don't know that it is going to. Hey, yeah. I've taken some bad shots in my life. Y'all ever had Malort? Oh, yeah. I believe I've served it to you at least once or twice. <laughs> that might be right. Yeah. Anyway, that's a good place to end this. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week. Place Fortnite just like me. I am 34. Don't fight the future, honey. Don't fight the future. The future is Luke, a big dick donchich from the home of Melania Trump. How many kids you hit? Don't fight the future. It tears me apart. Don't fight the future. Please be nice to Luca. Future four-time MVP. Oh, my God. Shut it down. Let's go home. (laughs) It's a wrap, dude. That is a wrap. (laughs) Woo!